getting back into it. Yeah. Shaking off the cob. We're dusting off the cobwebs. We're dusting off the cobwebs. Oh, shaking mm. off the dust. Should we? Oh. Should we tell a secret? Wait, have we started? I don't know. Have we? <laughs> I don't think so. Wait. You're listening to That's Pretty Dark. The podcast where we talk about all of the entertainment that scared us as children. And still haunts us as adults. So grab your flashlight and join us as we take a frightfully nostalgic look over our shoulders. And under our beds. And in our closets. And together we'll realize, whoa, that's pretty dark. That's pretty dark. Should we tell a secret? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, tell us a a secret, I guess. I don't know. Uh, No, I was just going to share with the audience that some of our Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes were recorded last summer. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's good to just mention it. I was wondering if we were going to record a disclaimer. Yeah, you'll hear us talking about things like being super hot, which I'm not right now. Now it's like, you know, 30 degrees outside. And we have to have the heater off because of the sound. And so I'm cold at the moment. But yeah, yeah, we recorded those last summer. I'm simultaneously cold and covered in sweat at the same time. That sounds like an illness. Don't know. My feet are constantly sweaty. <laughs> I thought that your sentence was going to end at, I don't know, my feet. I don't know, my and feet. I was like, well, <laughs> I don't have anything for you. That was the secret, huh? That was the secret. Big reveal. Hey guys, welcome. Oh yeah, hey everybody. I'm Kaylin, if you didn't know. And I'm Christian, as always. If you didn't know. If you didn't know. So there was, honestly, you want another another secret? Oh my, yeah. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm in a secret telling kind of mood right now. Yeah, um, hit me with another secret. Well, we had a schedule, right, of, of topics that we were going to cover. And mm-hmm. the topic that I was supposed to prepare for this week just wasn't doing it for me. You know, it wasn't speaking to me the way that I needed it to. Yeah, you know when you're working on something and you can't focus on it and you're just like, man, this is not right. This yeah. doesn't feel right. That's how I felt this week. Yeah. So I did a pivot and did a Ross Geller pivot and instead decided to research the page master. Yeah, you did. And that's what I'm going to talk about today because it felt better. We're going to master some pages. So we're going to master some pages today. I want to hear some more secrets, though. Okay. Um, Like, tell me about your first period. (laughs) Well, uh, I was in seventh grade. (laughs) I had to accept an award on stage, and I knew everybody was looking and could tell, which nobody could. But This is a true story. (laughs) That's a true story. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Yeah, it was a rough day to have started my period, but... So sorry. Hey, we've talked about my bleeding before, so... Yeah, no, it makes me think of Downtown as Fruits, the first Hey Arnold episode. Yeah. Like, Helga's on stage, like, freaking out. Actually, yeah. Anyway... Let's talk about Page Master. We've we seriously have already Please been talking to each other for like an hour, and uh, we're clearly not warm yet. We're still lukewarm, God. so bear with us. No, I think we're too warm. The Page Master for me, I've always loved to get lost in stories. Fiction has always been very important to me, so it's no surprise that I loved the Page Master when I was a kid. I don't know if it is what inspired my love of stories. It was all kind of happening at the same time, so you could say possibly so. Sure, yeah. um, But it also gave me nightmares well into my teen years. <laughs> <laughs> I was also very afraid of this movie for a long time, and I don't think I watched it without closing my eyes until I was like 15, truly. Hmm. So it's very deep-seated for me. And I'm excited to hear Christian's perspective on it, and I'm excited to hear your perspective on it if you watched this film and enjoyed it or did not enjoy it. Yeah, buddy. Um, it's it's a polarizing one, and a lot of the topics that we cover are very polarizing, but yeah. 
I don't know. A lot of people had qualms with how scary it was. A lot of people mm. felt like it didn't. It just was too short. Yeah. I don't know. So let's see how you feel. Let's see how you. <laughs> I'll tell you how I feel, and we'll get. I will say that with all the uh, all the remakes of all the things nowadays, because there's nothing new in Hollywood. Mm-mm. I am kind of surprised they haven't done a really big, massive CGI version of right? you know, Page Master. I'm glad they haven't. I don't know how I would feel about that. But yeah. I'm surprised it hasn't happened. Because this would be one to do. And to be honest, I I have it a little bit later, but this is an original story. Mm -hmm. A lot of people claim that it was based on a book, but any book iteration of this film came about after the film. I thought that too, and then I looked that up. Yeah. Yeah. It was completely original. I was shocked. I mean, it's such a good concept. We we have lots to discuss. We're easing you into this, but it's such a great concept. It reads like it would have been a book for children. It does. Because it's so educational. The content Mm -hmm. is so informative. It's like a PBS movie. Yeah. It's like reference after reference after reference. You can tell the people who created it really loved Literature, classic literature, maybe even a healthy uh, serving of banned books um, in some instances. Oh because a God, lot of the talk about that too. a lot of the references and content in this movie, not to steal any of your thunder, but a lot of those stories were not for children. Those are adult stories. No, I mean the majority of them were. And the whole point of it is to inspire children to read. Exactly. <laughs> and we it's amazing. like libraries. We like books. We and love. And you know what's so interesting to me, and I was going to mention this as well, but. I feel like there were a lot of campaigns and incentives, like programs in school. There's still like accelerated reader programs, I'm sure. Like we had those. Ooh, yeah. But yeah. I don't feel it pushed in the media the way that it was when we were kids for children to read. No. Nobody Now cares. we're trying to discourage children from reading. That in part with banned books, insanity, like absolutely insane that we're at this point in history again. It's wild. Not only that, but we're also... You know, we try to encourage kids to get less screen time, but I don't hear the voice saying, read a book. That's not pushed the way that it was for us. That's not the solution to the problem of so much screen time. That's just what I see. Yeah. I mean, not that I would know. My only connection to children really is my nephew. He doesn't read yet. And (laughs) they read to him. I I mostly, for any holiday or his birthdays, I usually am the book giver. Yes. Um, I'm the book giver too. I literally, for my best friends, I have three books sitting next to me that I'm giving them for their baby. Yeah. It's not even born yet. <laughs> I, yeah. When he was one year old, I got him like a book for seven and up. Like I'm just getting him like all kinds of books. You're building he can't his even... library. Yeah. Oh, totally. It's a long-term goal. And one day when he's older, he's going to say, my uncle Christian gave me all of these books. That's right. I love that. That's right. He's going to think I'm so cool. And so weird. He is. He might not think books are cool, though. That's the issue. That's what we're actively nah. trying. You got to show him this movie. Right. <laughs> but, but wait a <laughs> while, probably. That's the thing. This movie, all of you, either if you haven't seen it or if you haven't seen it in a long time, now's the time to watch this movie, especially with all the current book banning going on, mm-hmm. all the controversy, all the discussion about what kids should or shouldn't I read. God. I just have one thing to say about book banning, and that is those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Boom. That's it. Exactly. If you don't have access to understand it, to learn about it, like intellectually engage with those ideas and the things that have happened and parts of our history that are not great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you don't have access to understand that, then yes. all you're doing is opening the door for it to happen again. You're not protecting anyone. Mm-hmm. If anything, you're actively harming the kids that you're you know, preventing from accessing this information. Right. Did you know that To Kill a Mockingbird is on that list? Yeah, of course. I. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, uh, Harry Potter was a banned book because it promoted yeah. magic. And I say, you know what? Who gives a shit? <laughs> we need more magic in our in our world, right? Don't we need magic? I wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter until I – like, I mean, I never was allowed to read Harry Potter. So I didn't read it until I was in college. My mom didn't care, but it, our, we, you couldn't have it at my school because we were a Christian school. Right. It's bad. Yeah, I got in trouble when I was, like, really young, like, first grade. I got in trouble for bringing Pokemon cards to my Christian school. Yeah. Yeah. It, why? Why? Yeah. Why? Which that's not on the topic of banned so books, sad. but I still am a little bit bitter about but it. <laughs> it's weird the things that we decide are bad yeah. as a culture, as a society. It's really strange. Um, so, okay, on your point earlier, you said- um, Those who don't yeah. know history are doomed to repeat it. So it's like the world's greatest catastrophes have more to do with people being ignorant and ambivalent toward the thing happening. Yes. That basically just ushers in the people who have the agenda, Absolutely. who have the motives. Absolutely. Um, and Neil Gaiman recently- you know, tweeted to paraphrase him. He said, there's only one kind of person that would want to ban a book like Mouse. Mm-hmm. And he's like, whatever they're calling themselves these days. Yep. I, was I saw like, that tweet. Mm, yep. Boom. There is only one kind of person. That's just, that's, it's like so basic mm-hmm. to me. It's elementary. If you, it's elementary. If you have that desire to, oh, oh, I was seeing really, um, memes basically but it was like people who wanted to prevent black children from going to the to school with their children mm-hmm. don't want their grandchildren to know what they were doing right and i was like yeah yes, they don't want them to be educated on the history of them yeah, trying to keep exactly black children from going to their school yeah. exactly did it's, you know also that God. our governor k ivy of alabama in October, she tweeted that critical race theory is permanently banned in Alabama because we're going to focus on teaching our children to read and write and not hate. Okay. That's a direct quote from a human being who clearly has no idea what critical race theory actually is. Yeah, she has no idea. <laughs> it's, it's sickening. All The entire thing. Wow. We don't want better, I think. I mean, I do. Me personally. Christian and I do. Our society but doesn't as a society, a especially in the American South, yeah. we don't want better. God, it's so unfortunate. All that to say, we love books. We love reading. We do. We always have. I write stories. I want to write children's stories. And you know what? I'll be I'll be lucky if one of my books gets banned one I know, day. I'll right? consider myself so lucky. That would be a rite of passage for sure. So go look up the banned book lists. They're out there. There are so many books that are still and banned. read them or give them to go your kids. Go buy them. Go get them from from your local library because there's only good things coming from these books that are banned. They're not mm-hmm. bad. They're educational. They're informative. Right. Books should not be banned. The only reason they're banned is because the people who don't want them in school libraries is because they have an agenda. That's, they yeah. have politics or religion. They're only banned because of someone else's opinion. Their own personal, you know, ideology, their yeah. own whatever, their own bullshit. Yeah. But as soon as they're banned, I mean, what? Uh, Book sales for Mouse is just like skyrocketing. Yeah. It's like a bestseller now. Yep. It's insane. It's like, thank God people give a shit, you know? Yeah. Anyway. I hope that people do. So we're going to get off our uh, <sighs> soapbox here about about books and everything, but- I can't promise we won't hop up on another one at some point, but- We will because this entire movie is all about the love of reading yes. and how literally reading books- gives you the tools you need to survive this existence. Exactly. It gives you confidence, courage, um, mm-hmm. a sense of mystery and, and whimsy and magic. And you get to use that to be a successful human being. Man, I love what you just said. The world is waiting. Oh, guys. yeah. Snaps. Snapping. Snaps oh. over here. That was good. Um, I just quoted the end of the movie. But <laughs> that's how important this movie is. And I will also say, I can now confirm, Kaylin. I watched this movie when I was a kid. Okay. 
I couldn't remember. We had yeah, I had. It. So I've asked Christian about this movie for a couple years because I. You bought me my copy. I did. I bought him a DVD copy years ago. Years ago, yeah. Because I knew that he would enjoy it and he couldn't remember if he had seen it or not. And so I asked him the other day as I started to prepare for this episode. Lost to time. I was like, yeah. Have you seen it yet? Because he was going to watch it before we, you know, recorded this episode. Mm-hmm. And he can confirm now, I guess, that I he can did. confirm now. Yes, because there were certain pieces of the movie that really clicked, especially, like I told you, horror. The book character himself, horror. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, that resonates with me, which makes a lot of sense <laughs> if you think mm-hmm. about it. Sure does. I had forgotten this movie, and it must be because I saw it when I was so young. Yeah. I was so young that it just was in my subconscious and not in the forefront. And I mean, I was also that young, but I continued to rewatch it. That's a theme that you'll obviously have heard me say a million times is that I just wore out the tapes that I liked. Yeah. However scary they might have been. Maybe it scared me and that's why I didn't keep watching it, but we didn't keep watching it. Yeah, and then maybe you couldn't remember that it scared you. We had other movies that we would burn out the VHSs, but this wasn't, for some reason, this wasn't one of them. What's the VHS that you remember like destroying? It's- Just out of curiosity. Um, me, my sister, and my cousins, the VHSs that we burned out the most were The Goonies and yeah. The Mummy. Yeah. You've the 1990, what, mm-hmm. seven, 98, or 99, I, I, I think. I think that your mummy was my labyrinth. Yeah, it could be. I think that's yeah. really, like, that was the same thing. Me and my cousins, mm-hmm. we absolutely just... Yeah, that's one thing I've been thinking a lot about. Like, what are the what are the animated classics I watched over and over? And I don't really remember which specific ones that I would go just put in by myself. Like, you have all these memories of movies that oh, you I do. would just watch by yourself. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't really have that. I watched TV shows, but I don't know about VHSs. Man, I, I don't know what it was. Ooh, also, uh, <laughs> I forgot what it's called. Hold on. Oh, no. <laughs> I feel like that we've been talking for forever and we haven't even like... <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Oh, yeah. For the listener, if you're following along on my health journey, yeah, there we go. you'll be interested to know that I've thought that my thyroid disease was returning for the past um, several weeks because I've been having all the symptoms. Turns out I'm just anemic. So yeah. um, remember how I was losing all that blood and uh, <laughs> it finally clicked for me and I texted Christian because all the symptoms are very similar. And I texted Christian, I was like, well, I'm anemic. That's the answer to all of my problems right now. So I'm going to take an iron mm-hmm. supplement. And uh, But right now, I'm just I'm feeling real low energy. But it was really nice, I will say, to do the notes of the page master in this place because it feels very cozy. It feels very um, safe, yeah. as, as scary as it was as a kid. It's very frightfully nostalgic. The way it, it is frightfully nostalgic, but the way that I watch this movie now, it doesn't hurt me. It doesn't hurt me the way that all dogs hurt me. You know, there are a lot of these movies, like even Fern Gully um, puts me in a weird headspace when I watch it. I get sad. This did not do that to me. It's good. That's, it just felt good to watch. (laughs) It was a rainy night and it was a rainy night in the movie and it felt, it felt Mm. good to watch. So if you're, if you've been hearing me talk about these things, you're not sure if you want to watch or rewatch them. I feel like, although Reviewers did call this movie sad and dreary at the time. This one? Um, yeah. No way. They did. But no. I didn't find it to be. I disagree. Even if I did find it to be sad and dreary, it was in a comforting way and not in, you know, an oppressive way. Yeah. So. Like I told you when I was going to watch it, I was like, man, I want all the chicken lo mein. I want Chinese <laughs> food so bad. You did. <laughs> like, let me just, because it's been storming here. That's my like cozy, rainy movie night comfort food. Right. Just lo mein. <laughs> so I was, yeah, if that tells you anything, which it doesn't, that's how cozy and comforting this movie is. Yeah. Um, it, it's a good watch. It's, it's a good, like, 
we're going to have popcorn and baked cookies kind of movie night. It's really good. Absolutely. But the movie I was going to say. Oh, oh, go ahead. We also watched To Catch a Yeti. I've never seen that. Okay. We'll have to cover that. It's not like a dark movie or anything. It's not scary. It sounds scary. Um, <laughs> no, it's silly. The, Yeti, it's so the silly. only Yeti that I know Starring is on. the late, great Meatloaf. Oh, my God. Yeah. Rest in peace, Meatloaf. It's a fantastic movie. How have I never seen that? Little animatronic Yeti character from the 90s. You know how like they made... It was a very like... How can we make Harry and the Hendersons, but with like almost no budget? Hmm. We'll do a movie about a Yeti that's about <laughs> two feet tall. We'll go get meatloaf. We'll I've do seriously anything. like never heard of it. That's wild. <laughs> it's, so, it's so great. It's so great. Anyways. Okay. Let's talk about the Page Master because this movie is so good. It's so good. So now that we've been talking for 20 minutes. Hey, for the audience, it's like 10 because I'm going to cut out most of it. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Okay. Feeling better. Feeling better. Don't worry. Okay. Recap. <clears throat> banned books are awesome go read them banning books sucks <laughs> and um the page master is an excellent cozy watch with your kids watch with yourself watch just with watch your it, dogs and your watch cats. with your dogs and your cats and just love the love letter to classic literature oh my goodness the number of references in this so many movie i'm gonna go over a lot of them but you can stop me and correct me and you know we'll make sure to call out as many as we can no i chose to not make a list of references <laughs> because i wouldn't have had time i'd still be making the list of references they went all in with they classic did. literature well would you like to hear a fact about that as we're getting like gonna start on kind of a summary of the plot and the production and, and that all that good stuff i was hoping you'd have facts about that so yes. the fact about that is that all of the stories that are referenced in the film were public domain at the yeah. time of making the film right right not shocking to you not surprising to anyone because it would be insanely difficult to well get the rights to reference anything that wasn't public domain at the time i hear that but i saw the shining on a bookshelf. You did. Yes. But they didn't they didn't depict it and they didn't discuss it. So you're talking about things that were part of the actual plot. Yes. Anything that was part of the plot. Okay, because so so not not just random book yeah, titles. I think on that shelves. you could have the title on the shelf. I think okay. I'm sure they, they either cleared that or, you know, it was okay. But everything that was referenced as a plot point was public we were, domain. Yes, all public domain. Very old. Which to me is really interesting because Christian and I have done a lot of our like um, creative pursuits around older classics that are public domain. They're free to use. They're free to use. And not only that, but they've taught us so much already. And so we've tied in a lot of that to, yeah. you know, the lessons that we've learned. We love the idea of adapting older classics. And mm -hmm. so this just was right up both of our alley in terms of literature. Um, yeah. it, when you said I would love this movie, you were spot on. I fully, I knew just every element of it I knew was Christian. <laughs> Thank and you. I've been watching it my whole life. So for years, for so thank God for this podcast. Thank you for listening to That's Pretty Dark because you've given me finally a reason to force him to watch this movie and <laughs> confirm for me that he does in fact enjoy it because <laughs> I knew that he I would. I did start watching it one day, I think during COVID, and I stopped it about 10 minutes in or less because it was like during the summer, it was hot. The vibes was, the weren't sun right. was shining <laughs> so bright. You know, cicadas are buzzing everywhere. And I was like... This is not the right vibe for this movie. You need so I, I put it back on its own shelf in my living room mm -hmm. and said, the time will come for this, but it's and not today. come it did. Come it did twice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. I watched it twice. That's what you, I'm saying. You did. You've watched in the past like 24 hours. 
The Page Master released theatrically on November 23rd, 1994. It was rated G. And it took the world by storm as one of the first films to ever feature live action, traditional hand-drawn animation, and CGI animation altogether. It should have been at least PG. I'm going to say that much. Well, that's true. It also didn't exactly take the world by storm. Um, But (laughs) for me, it took me by storm and a generation of kids that were just beginning to watch films at that time. I think it was one of the coolest things we'd ever seen. It's a really cool movie. It's just, it's cool. The the elements that are incorporated. Yeah. Like we've been saying for the, you know, the past, the entire introduction to this podcast, it emphasized the importance of reading in libraries. What's better than that? You know, it's Wishbone, but it's a movie, that kind of thing. Those were the things that we grew up on. Mm -hmm. It was so of its time in that way. And worshiping librarians, essentially. I know. Yeah. Librarians were held to this like regal status. They're amazing. I still think that way about librarians. Shout out to you if you're a librarian. If you're a librarian or if you know one. I know I have friends that work at libraries. Like, yeah. hats off. Seriously. Watching this movie made me think, because I'm, I'm kind of reconsidering a lot of my like occupational, <laughs> my decisions lately. And I've been toying with the idea of working in a bookstore for like more than a decade. Yeah. I could actually work as a librarian. You have to have degrees for it. I mean, you have an English degree, so you probably could could yeah, get Yeah, I mean, no, there's you have to be like qualified, which is also cool. You have to be qualified to be a librarian, guys. Oh, dude, you have to be so educated, but also there are like, yeah. there are so many jobs that you can do as a librarian. Like there are legal librarians that do research for legal cases. Oof. There's just so many applications that you never, like, I, I get on this soapbox. Here we go. Ready for me to step up on my second soapbox of the podcast. Oof. The things that they tell you that you can do when you're in school, it's like policeman, nurse, teacher like they're they're these so like arbitrary basic things and you never really get a chance before you're 18 before you're making those career decisions you never really get a chance to hear about all the other random ass jobs that there are in the world the jobs that actually make the world go round you know you're not made familiar with those things and so you think of a Mm -hmm. librarian and you're like do you just file books all day no they do so much more than that but you would never know that when you're choosing your career path so do your research you know, like th- um, this is me speaking to teens, which I don't think there are any teenagers. Hey, all you Gen right Zers and, but if you're a gen- and younger, look, or if you're older and you're looking for a new career, don't take it for granted that these are the things that are available to you. Because there are so many careers that I would have pursued had I known they existed. Yeah, I don't even know why that's on, but it's trying to restart my computer, so I told it not. Don't to. do that. Cancel. 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 <laughs> would you like to hear a summary of the plot of the Page Master? I would love nothing more. <laughs> Was I that slow when I was speaking? <laughs> no. <God>. Okay. <laughs> That's just what I say every you time do, you, you ask me, so I'm just going to keep doing you do, it. And I think you should. I would love nothing more. So the film follows the story of uber-anxious 10-year-old Richard Tyler, who's played by Macaulay Culkin, and he's sent to buy a bag of nails for the treehouse that him and his father are building together. That's a bit hmm? presumptuous. Well, his father is building for him. His father's building better? for him, and he doesn't even want That's it. That's true. Yeah, he's trying to get over some. Have you seen this movie? I've seen it once or twice. Uh, Are you pulling this quote from another person's <laughs> blog? No, I actually wrote this summary, believe it or not. I like the end better than the beginning, though. You want to hang in for the ride? I guess I'll hear the end of the summary. Okay. So on the way to buy these nails for the treehouse that his father's building for him. Thank you. He runs into a group of bullies and an electrical storm, and he seeks shelter within the walls of a beautiful, ornate library sign me up honestly i mean a slip yeah and maybe also a magical librarian send him into the depths of the stories that surround him and he must traverse the landscapes of horror 
adventure, and fantasy with the help of their matching storybooks and complete the tests found therein to find his way back to that glowing neon exit sign. Oh my God. Mm. So when I finish a book, can you write the, yeah. the like back you summary? Know I will. Oh, I would, yeah, the... I'd be quoted. No. You want me to actually write the synopsis? The, write the actual synopsis. They don't even synopsis. put synopsis on books anymore. No, they Depressing, need to. But true. They need to. I'll write your synopsis if you write a novel. Thank you. Absolutely. Sweet. <laughs> it's recorded for posterity. God, that library is beautiful. Though, oh, right? it's so beautiful. So the Page Master was produced and animated over three years by Turner Pictures and Hanna-Barbera, which no honestly, that surprised me. I knew that, but I didn't know that, if you know what I mean. Like I'd heard it, but I didn't internalize it. And Hanna-Barbera obviously is responsible for so many cartoons over from the 70s onward. Um, pretty much every cartoon my my dad likes is a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Yeah. And it was released by 20th Century Fox, which is why Disney owns it today. Okay. Yeah, that was a confusing thing on, on yes, the Google. because Disney has released um, the DVDs and like several other home video iterations of it in re- more recent years because 20th Century Fox distributed it and they own the rights to distribute now, I think. They own everything. Yeah. they've They've swallowed it all up. So the production and animation teams, there were many industry standouts on these teams. Most notably, probably, is David Krishner. Do you know that name? I know the name. Yes. So he was the EP and the writer and creator behind Don Bluth's An American Tale. Okay. But he also produced and executive produced. It was varied. Like you can look at his um, like his IMDb or his Wikipedia and it will tell you. But he produced and executive produced or wrote or created like mm. usually not all three. <laughs> um, yeah. But he did one or the other on so many titles, including all the Child's Play movies, The Addams Family, wow. Once Upon a Forest, which emphasize that. We'll get to that one day. Hocus That's Pocus. That's like what I want to do. I how, do I, how do I become this Krishna oh, well, character? Just you wait. Just how do you, I do that? Just you wait. Um, Hocus Pocus. Oh. The Flintstones movie, Cats Don't Dance. That was his other big, oh, big one, which I love. Um, the Bride of yeah. Chucky and more. And he also created the Chucky dolls for all the iterations of the Chucky films. That's amazing. Yes. And so David Krishna is also slated to be the EP on the upcoming Hocus Pocus 2. Very cool. So he's still involved in that saga. Phoebe's yelling. She says, hello. Hey, Phoebes. There were also many animators on this film that were borrowed from like the contemporary Disney hits at the time, like Little Mermaid and Aladdin. Both Mm -hmm. of those are referenced in this movie. And animators who did work with Don Bluth on An American Tale. So I was going to say- It's a similar vibe. We may get into more of the animation. I don't know. Um, But I was going to say the animation- Specifically, the color mm. reminded me of All Dogs Go to Heaven. Absolutely. Because it had the same, I was wondering, I was like, man, this is the same kind of weird washed out. It's a, it's a, very pastel. It's a, dull, it's a dullness. The backgrounds, <laughs> especially the library, once the library yes. itself becomes animated, it's mm-hmm. very stark, very, very colorful, very hard uh, lines. Um, but the characters themselves against such a like, Stark, contrasty background were very washed out. Yeah. Faint. Yeah. And then, of course, once they get into the mystery of the horror versus adventure versus fantasy, mm-hmm. all of that becomes very uh, dusty, very dusty foggy. Dusty is a good word, yeah. It's weird. It, it is loses weird. its, it's like common. tangibility. It, yeah, I don't know. It That was just kind of the way it was done at the time, and it, that it's, was what people strange. leaned into. I. It's so nostalgic for me now seeing it, but now 
I also th- like don't know why they would make those choices. Yeah. It, it was hand drawn a lot of it too. So that's probably sure. that's part of it. And then with this film you have to consider that they're also incorporating granted the majority of the film is animated, hand drawn animation. Yeah. Millions of drawings, they say, over 3 years. Yeah. At the same time there are elements where they're having to combine CGI and live action. And so maybe those considerations also change the way that they would draw backgrounds and things like that. I'm curious to know what was CGI. There's really not that much, but it was important for the time mm-hmm. and for the plot. But to go back to our friend, our friend David Krishner, I don't mean to speak ill. However, there was a little bit of drama about the screenplay um, as they were getting ready to release the film. David Krishner actually tried to take credit for the screenplay. Oh. And it was an original screenplay. So no books based on it, no nothing. It was an original story from this guy, David Cassie. And he had only written like some, like not even B-movie. He'd written some like R-rated horror movies before this. Hmm. And then he wrote this screenplay. And Krishner tried to take credit for writing the screenplay Hmm. i'm not a big fan of how it went down based on what i've read i've never spoken to these people so if they would like to come and talk to us i would be more than happy to discuss it but from what i have read on the internet yeah it seemed like krishner was kind of using some wga loopholes because it had been written by cassie under a wga which is the writers guild of america Mm -hmm. it had been written under contract and Krishner tried to argue that because it was an animated film, the Writers Guild didn't have jurisdiction over it, basically. Weird. And so there ended up being this whole, like, investigation about what they were and weren't allowed to preside over or, you know, make claims over. Yeah. But um, Cassie was represented by the WGA, and he won the settlement. And so he ended up getting writing credit. um, And it was determined, based on that investigation, that it went into interviews with people who had been involved in like the genesis of the project and how it came to be. And Krishner wasn't awarded any writing credits at all. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah. Nope. It went to the person who apparently, apparently wrote it. Actually created it. I also thought it was funny because several things on the internet mentioned how this movie tried to kind of ride Don Bluth's coattails because he was so successful at the time. And obviously Krishner Mm -hmm. had worked with him on an American tale And so a lot of the advertisements for this movie say things like from the creators of an American tale and stuff. And it's true. You know, it's not it's not that it's not factual, but it seems like they wanted the audiences at the time to think that it was a Don Bluth movie when in reality it was not a Don Bluth movie. Right. It's close enough, to be honest. You see that now from the producers of Stranger Things, this new movie. And you're like. Mm-hmm. But that has nothing to do with those guys. It's just the other people. Right. It's some other producers. It's yeah. Ju- <laughs> yeah. Some guy who, yeah, anyway. But like, yeah, you, it, it still happens. And it's, it's marketing. It's all whatever. marketing. Yeah. So Page Master was directed, it was co-directed. So there was one director for the live action mm. portion and there was one director for the animated portion. Okay. So the live action director was Joe Johnston. And there are two names for the animation director found online. It's either Pixot, he's French, or Maurice. So he, I think he has a French name and then he'll go by his Americanized French name of Maurice probably. Okay. But he was the animation director. So hmm. both of them have racked up really interesting credits that kind of paint a picture of the type of director that they were. And honestly, I loved all the things that they both made. Yeah. So they all kind of live in at the same they've all lived in the same family in my mind for a long time even me as a kid not knowing they were the same director hmm. so joe johnston 
also will say he doesn't actually count the page master <laughs> in his filmography personally, apparently, because there was also some feelings hurt. Like apparently some scenes were edited without his consent or permission uh. at a certain point, And he decided that it wasn't what he directed it to be. And so he doesn't consider it, or at least at the time of writing of the article that I read, he didn't consider it part of his filmography, which is kind of sad because it's it was so formative to like yeah. so many of us that are now becoming adults and whatever. But right, right. So Joe Johnston, uh, he was responsible for directing a lot of other effects-driven films from the time, including Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, mm. which was his directorial debut in 1989. Wow. This was just before Page Master. Then he did Page yeah. Master, and then he did Jumanji in 1995. No way, Jumanji? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we plan to do Jumanji one day. Yeah. I mean, talk about a dark movie. That's dark a kids dark movie. movie. Um, That's one that we wore out. Oh, You were Jumanji. asking about VHSs? We watched Jumanji over and over and well, over and Joe over. Joe Johnston. And so Pixote or Maurice, like I said, he was French and he worked as an animator on The Black Cauldron Ooh, in 1985, yeah. The Rescuers Down Under. He was art director on The Rescuers Down Under in 1990. Okay. And he also directed like the Symphony Number no. 5 number in Fantasia 2000. Ooh, I'm going to reference Fantasia in this Ooh, episode. I mean, yeah, I, Fantasia talk about a dark movie. So, but this, this dude, like mm -hmm. I can see his fingerprint on it. You know what I mean? Which is- It makes sense. Yeah. Even as a kid, I could see it. I didn't watch The Black Cauldron until I was an adult either. Ooh. And I can't wait to cover that movie. But many people, when I've talked about this podcast, they immediately say, have you talked about The Black Cauldron? We're going to. Obviously, he had a penchant for like the darkness. And it's cool that he was just like, I do animated yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. I do animated things. And he directed the animation. I think that's really that's cool. cool. And he, he worked really closely, obviously, with Krishner and yeah. all of the- you know, production team to make it work. He is featured pretty heavily. Um, there's like this, the making of the page master. There's like a short that Christopher Lloyd like hosted and it's a, it was like on the DVD and everything. Um, but you can find it on YouTube now. I think I mentioned it later too, but they, they show a lot of like interviews with Maurice, which is I think really cool. And they go through a lot of the process of drawing coloring yeah like all that stuff so highly recommend checking that out in addition to this i will watch that yeah but what i was gonna say is that all these films kind of resonated with me at the time they were offbeat and dark and it's not really a surprise to look back and find that all the same people had a hand in bringing them to life mm -hmm. and that's a theme yeah. that we are finding more and more with this podcast is really when we dig in and learn about what made 90s children's entertainment dark is that we uncover all this talent, these people that were in their 20s and 30s. It's a lot of the same people, and they had been influenced by decades of watching, you know, Gunsmoke and yes. <laughs> Rocky and Bullwinkle. And Other very they, dark things. Yeah. Andy Griffith, like the moral, mm -hmm. you know, just these, all of these ideas clearly were like distilled into their minds and then echoed back to us. And we're doing the same thing. It's all boiling together in a very black cauldron oh yes yes we are yeah. mixing it up in the cauldron and i really i see it so much more clearly after researching so many of these films and seeing that the connections are all there the it's becoming very clear and i love that aspect of this me podcast too. because I, too. I wouldn't know this otherwise yeah and it i don't know just the humanity of it mm. it makes so much sense to me like knowing that these actual people had such direct impact on what we consumed and why it was the way it was mm -hmm. it 
I don't know. It somehow helps. <laughs> it helps it me help. cope well, it's, with it. It's like following that trail of breadcrumbs, you know? It's yeah. like seeing the origins of something is always really, I don't know, weirdly reaffirming. It, right. It, it makes you feel like you have an origin and the things that made you yes. were grounded in something. Yes. And anything that I make going forward, people can look back in the same way and it reflects on the people. They'll talk about the entertainment that we consumed as children, Right. right? It's I think amazing. That's so cool. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah, they'll talk about what made us the way we were, or you know, mm-hmm. the other creators of our time, and I, I do think that's really cool. And speaking of those imprints and echoes, I have to also mention that the film was composed by the late James Horner. Okay, I love the music in this movie. It is so good. It's so good. Uh, he worked closely with Krishner a lot and James Cameron. And so his resume, like, we all know it. We all love it. Land Before Time, Captain EO, American Tale, Honey, I Shrank the Kids, Once Upon a Forest, Mm. We're Back, Mm. Braveheart, Casper, Apollo 13, Jumanji, Balto, Titanic, Mighty Joe Young, the 2000 version of How the Grinch Stole Christmas, (laughs) Avatar, the 2010 Karate Kid, and just, like, so many others are James Horner. Like, wow, yeah, he's done. He, what a he resume! He scored so much of our childhood, and unfortunately, he passed away. I think in like 2015. We all gotta die. So, please rest easy, James. We appreciate your legacy. And in addition to the production, I also want to talk about obviously the cast. So we have Macaulay Culkin, who was who's cat- that? <laughs> yeah, who who could that be? Um, he was catapulted into fame after he starred in Home Alone, the whole franchise, and he was one of the most famous child actors in the business in the '90s. You know, he did Richie Rich and My Girl. Um, one of the most of all time, honestly. Yeah, but it's so funny because when you look at his resume, not that he hasn't done a lot, because he's done quite quite a lot. But it's very small comparatively, right? And I honestly think he's almost racked up more appearances, like appearing as himself, mm-hmm. than roles that he's played because he became so famous as a person. He was just in such successful movies, and he was so charismatic as a child. Mm-hmm. People couldn't get enough of him, and he has lived a life. That most of us couldn't even fathom. He's very cool. Yeah. And he seems like a cool human being that's just like come out on the other side and exists as a person. But I will say, if you don't know it, I'm sure most people know it by now, like the internet knows it, but he um, recently had a baby with and got engaged to Brenda Song. Nice. And I know Brenda Song, obviously, from her Disney Channel infamy. Like, she was London Tipton in The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Mm-hmm. She played in several Disney Channel original movies. Like, she's done a lot of stuff herself. But a lot of people can't really, like, picturing them together, it's just, like, two different worlds colliding, kind of. But they're together, yeah. and they seem to be happy. So I'm happy for them. I hope that he is living the life because he deserves it. So he just had I a baby. he's doing much better than Congrats he used to be doing. Congrats on that. For sure. And I missed the show, but he traveled through our city with his um, The Velvet Underground cover band, The Pizza Underground. Did he? Did you hear about that? No. So he's in a band called The Pizza Underground, and they're just a Velvet Underground cover band, but they changed the lyrics to be about pizza. Pizza. And they came through. Yeah, I didn't didn't go because I I don't know why I didn't go, but. I didn't know it happened. So (laughs) funny. The legendary Christopher Lloyd. just like I had a whole big breath in my lungs and I had to let go. Christopher Lloyd has represented so much of my childhood and life. Uh, he plays the library and Mr. Dewey, like the Dewey Decimal System. Um, <laughs> yes. And he also is the voice of the Page Master character. And 
obviously we know him from Back to the Future royalty, but he's been a figure that I've known my entire life based mostly on these two roles. Also Uncle Fester. Uncle Fester, true. Um, He represents this intersection for me of fiction and reality. Like he's this scientific, bookish, like uh, reality-driven character that is like just grounded enough and just magical enough really, to kind yeah. of make you believe that the impossible is possible. He sits on this line in a way that really very few other people do for me. You're right. Um, You're right. And I love that. He was also in Taxi, Clue, um, yes. Baby Geniuses, <laughs> which is a little known movie that my sister and I watched the heck out of. Um, he's a voice in Over the Garden Wall, which is a popular okay. animated series. Yeah. And he acted as a professor in this British show that I loved when I was in high school. It's called I Dream. And it was about like a arts school where kids were going to like learn music and stuff. And it starred all of the members of the S Club 8, which was S Club 7, but S Club Juniors <gasps> that morphed into S Club 8. S Club. And I oh loved God. S Club 8 so much. I wanted, I just, I, I wanted to be their best friend. I knew everything about them. And I thought they were so cool. And when I was in high school, they were on the series that was, you know, a British show. And so I would like download it off the internet <laughs> and Christopher Lloyd was in it. And it was such a pleasant wow. surprise to see somebody like somebody so familiar to me, you know, in that space yeah, too. So he's just, he's just amazing. I have nothing bad to say about that man. Um, also lending their voice talents to this movie, we have Whoopi Goldberg yes. and she just got off, like finished voicing Shinzi in The Lion King, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, Sir Patrick mm-hmm. Stewart, Leonard Nimoy and Frank Welker. Man. So Whoopi got her start on stage in 1983 and she did a one woman show called Spook Show and that transferred to Broadway okay. under the title Whoopi Goldberg. And that ran from 1984 to 1985, which I always knew she got her start in like comedy and like stage comedy, but I didn't. I didn't know the specifics. So from there, she starred in The Color Purple and continued winning awards basically left and right for everything that she did. And she was Oda Mae Brown in Ghost, which I also love, Sister Act, Captain Planet, um, Star Trek The Next Generation, and just so many more roles. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know this, she did change her name. And she Mm. chose her name Whoopi after a Whoopi cushion. Because apparently she was gassy. So that is literally what happened. What? Yes. (laughs) Man, the 90s and the 80s were so weird. They were so weird. And it was like a joke between her and her mom, I guess. And like her mom didn't necessarily want that to be her name, but she liked it. And so (laughs) that became her name. That's so funny. And she's also one of only 16 entertainers to achieve the EGOT. Mm. status which is incredible that's if you don't know emmy grammy oscar tony like she has one of each yeah she's one of those people that lives in uh i don't know celebrity fame that you feel like always existed yes or feel you feel like they were a staple Mm -hmm. of our universe or like our existence like yes i've never really even wondered how she got started me neither it's just i like i she just was there. She just I, That's our generation, there. though. That's us, like, yeah. as millennials. She was just there. And that she was a fixture. She was already famous before we were able to recognize Whoopi Goldberg. Yes. She was, she was already a fixture famous. there. Yeah. Which I, I kind of love. Like, I really do. I, I 
felt as if in my life, I was like, she's underrated. No, she has an EGOT. Like she, people know how brilliant she is. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, she's such a fixture for me that I have taken her for granted, I think. Right. And then the voices of my childhood, right? She's Shinzi. She's fantasy. She's these characters that were so close to me. Oh, she was in everything I watched. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then Sir Patrick Stewart plays Adventure, the storybook, and he's best known Mm. for portraying Picard in Star Trek The Next Generation. And he has also portrayed at various points the character of Ebenezer Scrooge, Captain Ahab. And he's also had like a successful voice acting career, like credits all over the map, including Family Guy and American Dad. Like he's done so much. And I didn't I didn't know why or when or how, but he was knighted by Queen Elizabeth in 2010 for his services to drama. Wow. So that's why he is Sir Patrick Stewart. Sir Patrick Stewart. Good for him, I guess. I don't think I'll ever be knighted or, you know, whatever. You and me both. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. I think you have to be English, but sure. You have to be. You do, yeah. That's true. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm English in pretty much every- I mean, my heritage is English. Every strand of my DNA, but- Yeah, both of us. I hail from greater London. (laughs) We're quite American, unfortunately. Yes, we are quite American, (laughs) unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. We also have Leonard Nimoy, who voices Oof. Dr. Jekyll, and he was famous for his portrayal of Spock in the Star Trek franchise for almost 50 years. Yes. And after his death in 2015, they actually named an asteroid after him, which I, I don't know, something about that's so nice to me, that he <laughs> devoted his life to Star Trek, and then he had an asteroid right. named after him. And right. Also, there's just a stupid amount of Star Trek connections in this film. Like, pretty much everybody in this movie has been involved with Star Trek to some degree. And I'm not a Star Trek person. And again, I apologize for that, but I'm not. So I'm not going to speak on it. I'm just going to keep moving. I've seen a lot of it, but I'm not (laughs) a Star Trek person, per se. Yeah. So I don't want to... Yeah. I don't, I don't want to under or over... I don't want to under or overemphasize that fact, but it is a true fact. Everybody in this movie pretty much has been involved in Star Trek. As opposed to false facts as opposed to false facts so that brings us to frank welker who plays the horror book mm-hmm. and he's done a lot truly, of stuff too like he he has one of the most extensive lists of credits that i have ever seen i know in my life my millennial life of imdb googling to be not famous i know he's done a lot of stuff like you may not know his name but holy shit. Like, he has yes. done so much. He was the voice of Freddy in the original Scooby-Doo series. Mm-hmm. Um, Big Time Beagle in DuckTales. Mm-hmm. He did all of the lion roars, the laughing hyenas, and the wildebeest noises for the Lion King. Boom. He did the reindeer sounds for the Santa Claus. He has done so many minor characters and mm-hmm. animals in, like, dozens and dozens of shows, films, and video games. This guy is an incredible voice Um, actor. He is just, he's everywhere. If you can remember like a a distinct animal sound from your childhood watching movies, it was probably Frank Welker. (laughs) It's it's unreal what he's done. You think, how did they get those animal sounds? For all these yeah. different things. How do they record an animal doing that sound? They didn't. It's probably just a human being. <laughs> it's a person. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think he voiced Abu, like the Abu from Aladdin in yeah. several different Aladdin, like, He did have some Aladdin credits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's just done, he's done so much. So thanks, Frank Welker, for just making our childhood sound the way that it sounded. Because <gasps> the there were three decades. 
three decades of his voice. So, and and he did such a good job as horror. Like you said, it resonated with you to the point where you didn't remember if you had seen this film. Right. And then it clicked for you when you saw and heard horror. Yes. His portrayal of horror was very distinct. Very. And his voice as horror was very distinct. Like, and I know that's true for me. To the point where I feel I had something that was the horror book. I don't know if it was like a plushie. Like a toy. Thing. That's or great. if I just remembered the movie so viscerally yeah, that but you felt I like you felt like him. I had you one. Held him. But yeah. something about him, his colorization, the colors yeah, like of that book. like turquoise color. The, yeah. the, the greenish, bluish, haunted, yep. ghostly color. I need yep. that. I need that book in my life. I know. We like, that was us. Like it, it, it imprinted on us mm-hmm. in a very distinct way. God, I love it so much. But- Unfortunately, despite the fact that the concept and the story were totally stellar and they had a killer cast and crew and they had this unique production scheme gimmick of all of the animation and CGI, mm-hmm. the film was still a technical like flop at the box office. Yeah. It only made $13.7 million from a budget. I saw everything from like $27 million to over $30 million. Yeah. It didn't make what they needed it to but in my opinion we should cut them some slack for that because they were pioneering this technology like they were some of the first people to do it Mm -hmm. and obviously that was going to cost money so it's like you know you have to you have to spend money to make money but also you have to spend money to like be avant-garde kind of in your field right and that's what they did um and it did do much better in home video sales i couldn't find statistics for that i looked all over the place but it did again like many of these movies that we're covering just had this like cult following with home video yeah and i found i found an article from the washington post that was published in december of 1994 that was really interesting to read because they compared and contrasted like what was happening with these studios at the time they even interviewed like they had quotes from david krishner and different studios that were kind of going up to compete against disney Mm -hmm. the article was explaining how disney can do this for a living they can afford to mess up they have their parks they have their savvy marketing they can create more buzz through that and if they don't land it doesn't hurt them as badly as it hurts like a smaller studio right and uh, that's true obviously it makes sense but it's just it was interesting to kind of step into that like a newspaper from december 1994 i wasn't reading the news i was two years old and so it's like hearing about how it went down um and disney basically directly undermined the page masters box office numbers because they had released lion king in like the early spring summer of that same year mm-hmm. and they brought it back to theaters for thanksgiving which is around the same time that this like debuted theatrically. So they just re-released a movie at the same they re- time. They brought it back to theaters. Yes. Clearly successful animated movie was going to come out. Yes. They did. Wow. But for also the holiday season, they were just making their money. You know, like they could do that. But sure. it's unfortunate because it came out at the same time as Page Master and I think The Swan Princess. And so Lion King, like the article phrased it like Simba gobbled up all of their <laughs> profits. Like everything Simba did the light again. touches. Everything the light touches, Simba took over, which I can't complain. Lion King is my favorite Disney movie. I'll go on record here as saying that. It's my favorite. It is one of the greatest animated films of all time. Sure. It it definitely, um, sure. it didn't help the Page Master situation at the time. And like I said, I couldn't, I couldn't find the stats for the home video, but it, you know, it's, it's such a good movie that it's unfortunate that sometimes the success of a project or the success of a thing is defined by 
things like that that were totally out of con- out of the control of mm-hmm. the the team that was making it. Like I said before, there were only so many projects being created, you know, any right. any given year because it wasn't yeah. like now. Now it's oversaturated everything all the time. There's a movie every week you coming out now. But at at the time, there were only so many movies per year coming out, and it's so unfortunate that like yeah. Of all the opportunities, of all the weekends, of all the days they could have Disney released has, a movie every yeah. time. I feel like every time we've covered these lower, lower, not lower budget, but like lesser production well, it, animated yeah. movies, it's like Disney also releases a movie the same mm-hmm. weekend. Mm-hmm. Like with All Dogs, it was what, Little Mermaid? Yes. It's like mm-hmm. every time there's another release. I mean, but that's like McDonald's opens up on one corner across the street. There's a Burger King. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Like that's a that's a. That's a standard of just like capitalism and competition and it's just competition. They wait to see. Yeah. Disney would lose out if they didn't. You know what I mean? Like it's right. they they had the resources, so they yeah. did the thing. So it's like I can't necessarily I don't know. It's like give the little guys a chance. You know, it's I'm tough. always like it's I'm always inclined we, to root for the underdog. Like but Disney. I also love Disney. Yeah, I I do. I love what they've been able to do, but, but it is kind of wild the monopoly that they've had for mm-hmm. so long. Right. You know, it's and, and now probably now in our adult lives they have more of a monopoly than they even did when we were kids. You know, they've bought up all of these other smaller groups. Oh, they yeah. own Star Wars now, like they yeah. own They own ESPN. I mean, they own ESPN. everything. Yeah. Yeah. All that being said, there were these smaller productions that I think still do live on. Like like I said, it's hard to quantify because you're you're looking at the box office numbers, and it sucks to me that that's def like that's the definition of success for film. I mean, it is mm-hmm. point blank. But what th- that can't quantify yeah. is that this movie has lived in my head. I'm 30 years old this year. Me as a person, this was formative to me, and I'm not the only one that feels that way. So th- yeah. there's no way to quantify the impact that it actually had. Yes, it's lived for 25 years in your mind. You know, yeah, exactly. And it, it continues to influence how I interact, how I create things. Like the impact of a movie, the impact of something like that that you consume as a child culturally, it can't be quantified by box office sales. Right. And I right. hope that nothing that I make is defined by how much money it makes. And I've always felt that way. You and I have talked about that a lot. Like, I don't yeah. care if things that I make ever make money because right. of what how they impacted me and the other people that worked on them. Like, that's what it was about to me was the human aspect of it. Yep. And I think a lot of these smaller studios kind of had that. You have to have that mindset if you want to to feel fulfilled in what you're doing. Yeah. And I think these people really cared about and they were passionate about the work they were doing. You have to be to, to create millions of drawings over three years, to spend three years on a film, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be passionate about it. And the amount of detail that went into the plot points. Yeah. Just everything. They they went above and beyond. Yeah. So are you ready to dive into the plot? Absolutely. Of the page master. This is the moment you've all been waiting for. I'm so ready. I would say drum roll, but I don't think you need any more further ado. Now we've been building up for a while. <laughs> so I do have to tell you that those opening credits are so nostalgic for me. Like They're so good. So during the opening credits, Richie's in his bedroom. This is Richard Tyler that um, played by Macaulay Culkin. And we see him in his bedroom and he has a flashlight and he's afraid of the thunderstorm that's like raging outside his window. And 
I just think of how many times I've been that kid. I was going to say I've been that earlier. Kid. I I failed to mention that you are the main character of this movie. <laughs> you are Richard Tyler. I am. There's a reason why you love this movie. Oh. I feel like it's because he epitomized this anxiety inside he of did. you. This constant like uh, danger assessment. But what's this, kind like, of hilarious is that. Granted, not when I was a kid, but like since I've been older and watched this movie, and a reason I've always wanted you to watch this movie is because I think Richard Tyler is you. Me? Yeah. Are you kidding? No, I see you (laughs) as him. Like you talk about you as a kid. You talk about when you were a kid, you were anxious, you were all these things, you were afraid. And not now. I don't see you now as him. I'm closer to him now than you are. But I do think Hmm. that when you were a kid, like the stories that you tell me of childhood. I picture somebody like Richard Tyler. That's so funny. I've always I don't seen know that. that I I definitely didn't because he has these like statistics and these this data. That's true. About and I am that things That's... like percentages of danger. Right. Um, yep. Well, I never had that. Yeah. Yeah. I have that. I have that. So <laughs> I'll just go into this because it is me. It is. Am I him? Is he me? That's who you are now for sure. Yes. Yeah. Like right up front in his bedroom, we see a fire extinguisher with the breaking case of fire like behind glass. And then we have <laughs> boots right next to that with a note. In case of glass. That say, use in case of broken glass. Like <laughs> yeah. that. And there's like danger high, high voltage next to the light switch. Yeah. I mean. Or the outlet or whatever. That is a caricature of me. Yeah. Of us. But me. If I was going to draw you in a comic strip. There would be those, those things, things. In, in your house because yeah. I'm aware. I'm so acutely aware of everything that can go wrong. Do you know? Like you, you don't understand what it's like. I mean, you do, but the general human, <laughs> I do, probably doesn't understand what it's like to be constantly calculating every way that the current situation could go wrong. And so I have mm-hmm. always done that. And to see it represented, I felt very seen by this movie. Um, I think mm-hmm. I've mentioned it before, <laughs> as we've discussed fear on this podcast but from the age of like five years old i kept a literal bag packed by my door in case there was a fire yes you did and that's a very dark thought now as an adult to look back on but at the time it seemed like the most logical thing i could do because i can't prevent a fire i can only control (laughs) what happens if there is one right and do you know what's crazy (laughs) is that in the past more than that yes in the past couple months i've seen that on TikTok. <laughs> of all places. There, I'm not the only one that did this. People on TikTok are talking about having done this as a child. Really? I've never in my life heard of anybody else doing it. I've been the only one that I've known in person. Yeah, you found your people. But I found TikTok, apparently in the algorithm, have shown me my people. Wow. Not the only one. Pretty cool. Like, most people associate childhood with being carefree, and I... Oh, I don't. <laughs> totally missed the boat on that one. We missed the boat on that one. Yeah. And it, it begs the question again, like, did we, I was watching this movie when I was so, so young. Did this get into my head? Was I already doing that? I mean, I know many other reasons why I was anxious, <clears throat> religious trauma. But <laughs> beyond that, I, I latched onto this so tightly. And I mm-hmm. don't, I don't know which was what. I don't know if it just made me feel seen or if, you know, it, it, there's just lots of ways that you can kind of slice that up 
in your <laughs> psyche. Yeah. But the one thing that we do know is that fear is eternal <laughs> and transcendent. And whether these adults that were making these films were making them for the children that they knew who were more careful than they had been in the 70s and 80s and when they were growing up, mm -hmm. or if they were making them for their children's generation, they wanted to be more careful, um, or their own inner children somehow that were afraid. Right. We don't know. It's always that love letter to the child inside of them. Exactly. Parenting your inner child. I talk about that yeah. a lot with people that yeah. I know. Just going back and like giving your inner child what they couldn't have. What do I wish and I'd known as Maybe a, it's kind of that. Maybe it's people reflecting on their childhood. Yeah. You know? I don't mm -hmm. know. But I do know that in this movie, so his parents start talking about like what should they do? And it's really funny because his dad is talking to his mom, obviously, and his dad's like, he's afraid of tuna fish. And then his mom's like, no, 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 he's afraid of the mercury levels in the tuna. <laughs> like, yes. It's just, that's me. That made me think of you. <laughs> that is me, 100%. Um, and then they talk about like how he brought up like a medical journal when they were discussing something. I Yes. The number of times in the last two months that I've referenced a medical journal or brought up a medical journal so many times the number of times in my life that i've done that very frequently yeah. but i felt like i've been getting better with my health anxiety and then all of these terrible things happened to me with my health so it it never like i never just escaped in the last it. few months yeah in the last few months it just has always come back but made sense to me as a 10 year old that's probably how i was that's how i am today i know a lot of things i have a lot of facts i'm sorry i have too much information <laughs> to ever be relaxed ever like Mm -hmm. that's just how how it is for and me. so you you go that that route i go the overhearing your parents conversation about you route wow it's weird to overhear a conversation about yourself sure and i'm sure i did but i, I was probably agreeing i was probably like please fix this what's wrong with me <laughs> yeah Some, somebody somehow sure but yeah so they're eventually working on this treehouse and Richard Tyler's reciting statistics about household injuries involving ladders and, you know, trees. And I feel very understood. And his dad is telling him that he can't live life based off of statistics after falling from said treehouse. Granted, it's a little bit of Richie's fault, but he falls out of the treehouse. But he tells Richie that he can't yeah. live his life based on statistics. And I'm over here. Both child Kalen who watched this movie and adult Kalen who watched this movie are over here like, do you want to bet? <laughs> like i'll survive longer than you will hey risk averse still very badass we're over here like we yeah, exist. he's the one who did fall from the treehouse <laughs> right i mean it was like i said it was a little bit of, of it's, uh, it's both their fault. fault i mean it was kind of one of those like 90s gimmicks where it's a it's slapstick like, moment it's sure. a slapstick like that wouldn't happen but Right. Okay, I'll give right. it to you because it's 94. Yeah, pretty much. They got a lot of leeway back in those days. I was three. I'll give it to you. <laughs> I was dumb at yeah, that what age did I too. Know? Sure. I was like sucking my thumb or some shit. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we were all stupid in 94. Sure were. So everything about this movie gets started when his dad sends him, like I said before, on his super tricked out safety bike in his <laughs> safety helmet and vest. With his siren. With his siren his, yeah. to buy a pound of nails for the treehouse. And, of course, on this journey, he runs into some bullying kids, which no 90s movie would be complete without bullying kids. One oh of these God. kids is, I assume, Krishner's daughter, Alexis. Yeah, her? Okay. Um, because okay. he's a producer, and I think that was his kid. She's credited. But these kids chicken cluck him. 
there's the chicken clucking Gosh. again uh, into taking a different route than he probably would, I guess, to the hardware store because they've got this ramp set up and they're kind of being daredevils yeah. and he, you know, bails. My favorite part of that was like, where are you going, the moon? <laughs> yeah, he's, because he's wearing like this crazy getup. So it's they're they're calling him an astronaut basically because he's like suited I mean, up yeah, for safety. The way he says that, I'm just like, dude. <laughs> where are you going, the moon? I remember that the as a moon. kid. But this results inexplicably in him basically biking down like a highway. It looks like an interstate. Yeah. But conditions are deteriorating. There's limbs falling. The storm clouds are the blowing rain in. Is here. Yeah, the rain's coming. Storm, and I, this darkness, that storm brewing energy, like I think it happened in multiple, you know, multiple films. But like I absorbed that as a kid. Like I remember making up games when I was playing house or like when I was playing yep. imaginary games, there was always a storm coming. And always. I was always trying to get in out of the rain or, you know, get be safe or protect. Because it always redirects right. the current like mm -hmm. intention of the character. It's an inciting thing. I totally get yeah. that. We we always had storms and we had we had a game called The Wind Gods. Okay. Me and my sister and our, our friends. I mean, Way we more used to creative. Play that. Oh man. They were always after us, those wind gods. <laughs> we used to play teenagers, so <laughs> much wow. less creative, where we pretended this was the game, me, my sister, my neighbor, Paige. Um, What's up, Paige? Shout out to Paige, because she did all the like crazy childhood stuff with, with us. Yeah. But we would play a game called Teenagers, where like we played it in the garage, so it was like one of us lived there, and then the others would like come over to visit. Mm -hmm, I don't know mm -hmm. why we thought we lived on our own when we were teenagers. No, we had that too. <laughs> we had that. We had the same thing, yeah. And, and now- I was you, the only boy. You so. just play out, oh, so you were always like the husband or the- Yeah. Yeah, every time. Yeah, pretty much. Yep, we didn't have any boys, so it was just- Teenagers. Okay, so the storm is brewing. It's brewing. And he happens upon a giant library. Mm. It seems like it's almost in the woods, <laughs> kind of. I, know. I can't tell, but apparently there were some shots that they got at the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles County. Okay. I don't know if it was interiors or exteriors. I don't know. I don't know exactly, but apparently some of it was shot there. And I so visit. I'd have to go there to go see. Yeah. Let's go. I'm ready. And I also have to note, I don't know what it was about the style of Foley that is used in 80s and 90s movies, but there's this like crispness to the drips of rain on the floor, like yes. off of his coat and the squeak of his shoes. Yes. And the rolling of the cart that Mr. Dewey, the librarian, rolls in. Like all the sounds are so, I don't know, visceral. Like they yeah. feel so tactile and like, mm -hmm. I don't know what it was about the style of Foley in the 90s, but I don't feel like movies feel that way today. And if not, yeah. it may just be the fact, or maybe they do, and maybe I've just lost the ability to like pay rapt attention to something like that and absorb the sounds in the same way. I really don't know. But they, I don't know. Mm -hmm. They were just perfect to me. It's and I feel that way about so many. mixed in way better now that everything's digital. Probably. Before Probably. it was, and it was very, very loud, and it wasn't mixed in, and so it didn't feel it didn't feel like life. It felt yeah. f closer. But I associate that with movies in the '90s, which I associate with comfort and mm -hmm. what feels more real. But like I said, here we meet the librarian, Mr. Dewey, and he doesn't allow Richie to like get a word in. Otherwise, he's just insisting that he has a talent for guessing what people need, 
And he's offering him stories from all these genres. And he makes them sound so thrilling and perfect. I know. And can I please walk into a ginormous library and have an incredible library and just guess the book that I need? That sounds please. like oh, so much goodness. fun. Oh my goodness. That sounds like so much fun. That's like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy of like the microwave that knows exactly what you're craving. Speaking of this concept, so I have like a total tangent here. But <laughs> have you ever been to the bar called The Collins in Birmingham? Maybe. I don't think so, though. So, so there's this bar in Birmingham, Alabama, and there's no menu, apparently. And I had been told by people that are local to Birmingham that you go inside and they tell you what you need. They just, like, make for you what you need. They I've don't... been to a few bars there because I worked on a movie there, but I don't yeah. remember which bars I went to. It was The a Collins lot of, like... has, like, a periodic table on behind the bar of all Alabama things. Then it's, it's cool. I actually, yes, okay. I have been there. But I just ordered a drink and they gave it to me. They didn't choose my drink. Well, that's the thing. I hoped that it would be the way that they said, because I was like, that sounds so like nice and I don't something weirdly literary. Like you come in and they just tell yeah. you what you need and it just feels I don't know. So I was excited about it. Yeah. But I went in and I wasn't helped. Like nobody came over to help me. And so I finally like went over to the bar and like waited. And I asked if they had a menu, knowing that they didn't, hoping that this would like in, like start the process, you know? Right, right, right. It would trigger something. And instead, the girl that was behind the bar just said no to me. No. <laughs> and she just <laughs> stared at me. And I was like, oh, okay. okay. Um, I felt very uncomfortable at that point, And I just ordered a Collins. So. Yeah, sure. I had a Collins at the Collins, but. They didn't tell me what I needed. It was kind of disappointing. Yeah, and on a more nostalgic note, it reminds me of Chubby's from Boy Meets World. Do you know, like okay. in the early seasons of Boy Meets World, they go to Chubby's to hang out. Yeah, and yeah. it's this like sandwich shop, I guess, kind of, sort of. And um, they there's like a code and you have to kind of know what to order or what to say. Like I remember there's a point when Corey's like coaching this girl through ordering at Chubby's and he tells her <laughs> to order a turkey Chubby. With everything. And if he wipes his nose, you're in. Like, <laughs> there's this, like, there's this thing. It's I don't so know. Silly. Something about that feels so cool. It feels very 90s to me. You wish it was real. I wish, wish it was, was real. real now. It isn't. But yeah, that reminds me of that from for guessing what too. people need. Yeah, it's just like you're going to get what you get. All right. And sure. I think that's funny. I have um, a quote here um, before you. I don't want to, like, skip over what you're going to say. No, go ahead. But. My favorite part of this, which resonated with me deeply, I felt like he was talking to me, mm-hmm. is when he says, he's going through all the different genres of what he thinks he needs. He gets through his horror spiel of like, horror. Yes. Graveyard. Evil demons. Wretched monsters. Haunted houses. Graveyard. It's horror for you, boy. I'm sure of it. Oh. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's horror for me. I like that that stood out to you because I've thought of you. <laughs> yeah. Every time I've I heard like, it hmm. as an adult. It's horror for me. I'm yeah. sure of it. It's yes. horror for me as well. I'm sure of it. Of those genres. Tell that to all the first dates I go on. <laughs> it's horror. <laughs> They're like, horror? Check, please. Please. He's an axe murderer. Not really. I can vouch that he at least hasn't axe murdered me in a few years, if that's helpful. Anyway, it's horror for me, boy. It's horror for you, boy. And it's horror for me, boy. And he gestures and says, through there, to tell them where to go. 
I've told you this before, but so many of my dreams as a child and now involve libraries. Yeah. So many. Just like long hallways, long corridors with shelves. It's not just like hallways usually. Shelves of books. Typically, if I'm going to dream about a hallway, it's shelves of books in a library. Yeah. I don't dream about plain hallways. (laughs) And it's like they're tall and they're towering and ominous, but it's also haunting and it feels almost inviting. Like they want me to be there. I don't feel like I shouldn't be there. Mm, right. It's strange, but I have dreamed about libraries for my whole life. Sounds like Hill House. It does. And it makes me wonder if it was related to this movie. Cause I, I mean, obviously I would have Probably. seen this very, very early. Yeah, because so. he's like, he's wandering off and he's like, you know, don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. And you then know? you're like, well, of what? You know? Right. It, right. Asks, it begs questions. But we get to this like rotunda. You look up, you see all of these literary classics painted on there. We've got just everything represented. Jekyll and Hyde, um, mm-hmm. Captain Ahab. We've got Treasure Island. Treasure Island, yeah. And then in the- And a dragon. A, yeah, a big old dragon, like fantasy dragon. And then in the middle, we see this Merlin looking, like mm-hmm. magician looking man. Yes. And- as he's looking up at the rotunda, he slips on the floor because it's wet from where he's like dripping because he's just coming out of the rain and he hits his head, kind of, we assume. Yeah. Then the rotunda begins to melt around him. A lot of kids were very frightened by this, apparently. I found that out in my research, like looking it up, people were afraid of this moment. Hmm. It This did not scare me. I thought it was cool, but this is the CGI element. Like I was, this- okay, I thought so. Because it's very cartoonish, obviously. When I was watching it two days ago or yesterday or whenever, I was like, wow, really bad animation. But then it is when I realized what cutting it was edge doing. CGI for the moment. Well, yeah. But then, yeah, once I realized what it was doing, I was yes. like, oh, yes. that makes sense. This is good. And not only that, but you have the the paint that's dripping in CGI and Merlin's face gets all distorted. And I guess that could be scary, but that wasn't what scared me about this movie. No. Yeah. But he like, there's paint appearing on his clothes and like pooling down on the floor. And it looked so real to me growing up to come to find out a lot of it was real, or at least some of it was real. Hmm. Um, Cause they were blurring this line between live action and CGI, but it kind of has an attitude about it. It falls like liquid does. And some of it, was real for that reason. So you really believe it when it's pooling together and kind of swirls into this tsunami of paint and color. Yeah. And it chases him through the hallway and he can't get away. And eventually it swallows him up. And then suddenly everything is animated and we're in the animated part of the movie. And this was, it was just very, um, it was unprecedented at the time. Like yeah. this stuff didn't happen. Now it's kind of old hat, but at the time. Right. You'd never seen anything like this before. I was personally blown away. This was the movie that inspired the other. Yeah, it was really one of the first to do anything like this. It was a huge undertaking for them to even attempt it. And with that, I'll leave you all on a cliffhanger because that is the end of part one of our Page Master story. And what perfect timing. Next time we'll get into more of the, obviously, the plot of the film and all that good stuff. There's always so much to say before getting into a movie night. There's just, you know, there's so much to go over. There really is. Yeah. I keep finding that over and over about like all the background, everybody who made the stuff. It yeah. takes. It By the takes time, a time you talk through production and cast, you're already you're already into it. <laughs> well, well into but it. But we do hope that you guys will, you know, be into this series and 
we think it's just a two-parter you know <laughs> hopefully we're not the only ones that are obsessed with the page master so we'll see no it's been a lot of fun so far yeah page master yeah. is just it's a good one yeah it really is Thanks for listening to this uh, first half. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening. We've been trying diligently to put out content for you, even though, you know, our schedules have been crazy. So right. Uh, we appreciate you. We're always hustling. You, listener. <laughs> it's all because of you. Yeah. A little bit of us, too, though. And us. But, yeah. <laughs> Mostly. Mostly, because I just want to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you in a couple weeks. Yeah. See you. Bye. Stay spooky. Thanks for listening to That's Pretty Dark, written and produced by Christian Baxter Mott and Kaylin Andrews. Our music is composed by Jonathan Simmons, and our art is provided by Paige Garland at Power Girl Illustration. Join the collective nostalgia and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at That's Pretty Dark Podcast. Share your experiences and let us know what shows, films, or villains still haunt you from childhood at That's Pretty Dark Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, You're never really alone. So, until next time, sweet dreams, everyone.